This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 149 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Draper Therapies. Welcome to the program. On this week's episode, we're going to be starting a brand new series of the Century Club. The Century Club was started by the Dressage Foundation here in the U.S. And it uh, is a very exclusive club because it's just for members whose combined ages with their horse is 100, at least 100. And we're going to kick off that new series with a Californian. Marilyn's going to tell us what motivated her to take up dressage in later life and what also inspires her to be so competitive too. And later in the program, I'll be reading part two of an extract from Paul Balasic's book, Dressage in the 21st Century. But first, a message from our sponsor, dressage radio show listeners this is kat voidelock with draper therapies wishing to tell you all about the draper therapies perfect polos the draper therapies perfect polos provide support and protection to your horse's legs while also helping to aid in relief the outer layer of the draper therapies perfect polo is a saratoga bandage the saratoga bandages are world renowned for their support and protection they offer to a horse's legs but also through the thin rubberized layer that is on the inside of the wrap that helps them stay in place, even in mucky weather. The Draper Therapies component, which is sewn right directly to the Saratoga bandage, is a therapeutic polo. The therapeutic value of this polo is provided by Salient, which has been clinically proven to increase circulation and reduce pain to an area. These two components make up the Draper Therapies Perfect Polo, and they come in either black or white. The wraps are sold in pairs, and you can buy a pair for $60. All products are made in the United States of America. When you buy two pairs of polo wraps, you also receive a 10% discount. Please visit drapertherapies.com for more information or email us at info at drapertherapies.com. Draped in health, wellness, life, and love. Draper Therapies. My guest this week is Marilyn Canty, who has just become a member of an exclusive club established by the Dressage Foundation here in the U.S. called the Century Club. Well, the Century Club recognizes riders and horses whose combined age totals 100 years or more. The horse and rider have to perform a dressage test at any level at a dressage show or an event, and they're scored by a dressage judge or a professional, and they get a uh, personalized plaque to commemorate the occasion, and they also get a gold and black ribbon that was presented to them at the show. So I thought it would be fun to have this brand new segment here on the Dressage Radio Show to celebrate these careers, and so often they are in later life. Uh, We kick off with Marilyn, who is in her 70s, and she's going to tell us uh, what inspires her to be a member of this new club. Marilyn, you've just done full circle in your life, haven't you? You're a, you're a Californian and you've just circled back around 
to the Santa Cruz area, I believe, is where you live now. Yes. Um, when your husband makes more money than you do, you have to go where his job is. <laughs> and he got transferred to Florida. And my, my little mare went with me. And um, we did some jumping back there. And then when he retired, I, I had bought a big Hanoverian thoroughbred. Um, and uh, I brought the two horses back. But um, until gas prices got bad, we went back and forth between California and Florida taking the two horses with us, and we made that trip seven times, and um, it was quite an adventure. We never had a breakdown with mechanical things, and nobody got sick, so the trips went really, really well, but when gas got to be a buck eighty-five a gallon, ha-ha, um, we had to quit because we couldn't afford it, so we're out in California for good now. That's it, is it? Well, well I want to hear your story and how you got uh, to be become a member of this exclusive Century Club because I think you're number 96 of, yes, that's of, right. of the membership. So there's quite quite a list before you and I'm sure lots more to come. It's quite a fun, I think, way of recognizing people whose combined ages total 100 years or more. Now, are we allowed to ask you how many years you put on the horse and how many that you, you will claim to? Well, I'm 74. I'll be 75 in September. And uh, Miss Cammie just turned 29 uh, on March 6th. So she was 28 and I was 74. So combined, we were 102. But we couldn't do anything about the Century Club for two years because she had severe laminitis. And I had thoughts of having to put her down because, you know, she was having trouble walking. But I have a terrific farrier. His name is Jim Kotecki. And he's dealt, he's been shoeing horses, therapeutic shoeing for 20 years. And my vet is um, Chuck Kessinger. And he's been around for a long, long time. And my trainer is Dee White, who has a terrific eye. My gosh, she can tell when my hips are out of whack by a quarter of an inch. It's <laughs> amazing. So I had quite a team. For two years, we worked on Miss Cammie, and um, we got her sound. And I knew about the Century Club because Ed Sayer is a good trail buddy of mine. He's way up in his 80s now, but he had done two Century rides. And so that's how I heard about it and uh, decided that was going to be a goal for the two of us. Now, you're relatively latecomer to the sport of dressage, aren't you, Marilyn? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I couldn't afford a horse until I was 55, uh, but when the boys were gone, and uh, I'd been horse crazy, gosh, probably since I was born, but no money for it, couldn't even rent horses, um, so um, got Miss Cammie when I was 55, and then we were transferred to Florida, and uh, did, I was in a hunter-jumper barn, so that's what we did for the years that we were in Florida. And I remember coming out of the of a hunter ring once, and this lady who was, oh, I don't know, maybe in her 50s, she looked up at me. I was still on cam, and she says, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe her tone of voice. And I says, well, I'm 65. And she said, holy cow. She says, my husband says i got to give it up because I'm in my 50s. And I says, don't listen to him. I says, you can carry on as long as you want. So uh, we we did 100 jumpers, but I decided when I turned 70 that maybe I should think about doing dressage because it's all flat work. Well, my 100 jumper friends don't want to believe me, but 
dressage is a lot harder than hunter jumper, <laughs> a lot. So, um, so I, I decided when I was 70 that I would switch to dressage, so that's how I got into it. Well, clearly, obviously, it's a, a lot safer not to be jumping as you get older in, in life, but what is it that appeals to you about dressage? Why did you think, well, I'm going to have a go at this? Because it's hard. It's so hard, and it makes you such a better rider, and you're more aware of your feet and your legs and your hands. Now, I'm not saying that jumpers aren't aware of that, too, very much so, but dressage is really the basis for everything, and even my hunter-jumper trainers, they all agree that dressage is the basic thing for everybody. Uh, My brother-in-law has been with horses all his life, and he says dressage is high school for horses. And I, I believe that, and it keeps them in good shape, and it keeps you in good shape, and well, that's why I did the switch. But yes. I have to admit, I love the jumping, and this summer I'm hoping to get back at it. My big Hanoverian thoroughbred is um, 19, so we might not have a lot of years left, and we're just going to do little fences, but it's, it would be wonderful to get back to that. Well, some people, as they get older, might say, well, I don't want to be judged by anybody. I'm just riding for fun. But you don't mind that aspect of it then, going down the center line and having the critique at the end of the day. Oh, no. I read those judges' critiques with a, with a microscope because as I, as I was showing my big guy, Sport, um, the judges' cons- uh, comments started to get consistent and uh, with many different judges, and these were AAA shows, and I was just doing training level, but I thought, you know, if they're all agreeing on this, he doesn't have much energy and all that sort of thing, uh, it's got to be true. And those judges' sheets, um, they give you something to work on, something that you're aware of. And trail riding is fine. I loved it. Um, But I always tried to sit right and have my feet and hands right, even when I was on the trail. So I think I think uh, judging is is very very helpful. And I'm sure also the type of horse that you partner with as you get older to switch disciplines particularly is fairly critical. You chose to go with an Arab mare. I mean, was that a strict contrast to what you've been using in the jumper ring, Marilyn? Well, I was jumping her. Uh, yeah, I was always crazy about Arabians, and uh, I found an advertisement in a local horse paper here in the Bay Area that said, um, elegant gray mare. Well, I had to go see her, of course. I did take a trainer, and I took a vet with me to evaluate her. Well, I just fell in love with her. She was only eight years old then. And uh, uh, so I, she was, she was it. But when I got back there in the hunter-jumper barn and I saw these great big gorgeous things, um, I spent part of an inheritance on, on my big guy. He's 17 hands and 1,300 pounds, and he's pretty big. <laughs> but um, I didn't do much jumping with him in Florida. It was a trainer that was always doing the jumping. So, but I started to show him in dressage when we got back up to California. So what did your family think of this then, Marilyn? Your husband particularly, you said you mentioned boys. How many sons do you have? I have two boys, and they, the youngest one is interested in horses, but, you know, they're busy working, working, and with families. My husband is not a horse person. <laughs> now, he gets, keeps the barn repaired and does things. Now, when I leave town, he does throw the hay in the grain, and he... 
he knows how to put a blanket on now, even though he got first time he got it inside out. But um, he's never halted a horse. But he he's very much an animal lover. But he's he's not a rider. He's not a rider. And he and my boys kind of give me a bad time. They said you wouldn't let us have motorcycles when we were young, and look what you're doing. <laughs> well, I have to admit they have a point. <laughs> So it hasn't threatened your marriage then, being as devoted to horses now in later life as you always wanted to be? Oh, no, no. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary last March. Wonderful. Congratulations. uh, Thank you. And we spent 25, 30 years together in Renaissance music. Um, We both were playing about 12, 13 instruments, recorders, vials, psalms. Um, uh, for many, many years, but then I got into horses, and he's still he's still very much doing viola da gamba, which is a renaissance, kind of like a renaissance cello. They come in different sizes, but he's very much into it, and I've kind of given it up. I keep my piano going, but uh, the instruments, the, the early music, I haven't. I kind of let it go. So dressage to music, then, could, could the freestyle be amongst your plans here, then, for the future? If I had more time... Boy, would I love to do that. But Sport spent his years jumping, and his sire went, did Grand Prix and FEI in Europe. Uh, and so I've got the horse. But we did all those years of jumping, and he only started dressage about three four years ago. So we're at training level, and uh, uh, if we had the years ahead of us, oh, I would love to do that. But... I don't know that we do have the years. Well, it sounds so. as if you could choreograph it with the, your musical background. You get your husband to help as well. I, you know, I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility, Marilyn. I think you should. Well, it, it. well, maybe not. Except I always think of uh, freestyle as being pretty advanced horse. You know, a lot of training, and the rider's pretty advanced. And so, uh, would love to do it, but I think I need to get out of training level before I try. Well, maybe you should start a new trend here for the Century Club of uh, of uh, d- designing your own freestyle program, and it could be just a, a class for fun on its own. So you all get to you know, realize your dreams without having to go up the levels to get to freestyle well that's you know that is a possibility because i love the baroque composers and uh bach is very very rhythmic and uh i remember hearing a bach done on uh, bach fugues done on different pitch drums very complicated when you hear it on drums but it's very very rhythmic and so i boy wouldn't i love to do um Flying changes every couple of beats. Boy, that would that be fun. Wouldn't that be something to aspire yeah. to? Well, yeah. Marilyn, you joined the Century Club. I think it was in October of last year when you actually yes. competed mm-hmm. at the Seven Oaks Dressage Extravaganza in Portola Valley over there in California. Uh huh. Now, talking about you know mem- memorizing what the judges' critiques are at the end of the day. What was their reaction to you coming down that? Uh, center line that day did uh, was it one of those tests that was really m- memorable or were you thinking that this is this is how i become a member of the century club well i knew i knew i was going to be a member of the century club before we even went in the ring because we were going to do our test and we were going to complete it and i hoped i, I got a 65 which i was very proud of um but we only did intro test a I mean, she's pushing 30 years old, and so I guess, and she'd only been really ridden well 
for about two months in advance. And so I didn't want to push it any higher than that. We just did walk, trot, intro A. And um, she's fairly flexible. So we did our circles okay, and we got into our corners okay. But it was a brand-new ring for her, and she's very spooky. And coming down the center line, I was trying to get her rear end lined up with her ears, <laughs> but she kind of wandered around a little bit, and I couldn't get her to stand square. So, But I, I was proud of what we did and proud of her. And uh, that series of, of shows starts up again April 22nd, and I'm taking both horses as long as she's in good shape. We're, we're going to keep on competing because I think it's a wonderful goal. To, I have a responsibility to her. And to sport, too, because they're mine. I have to keep them in shape. I have to keep them as healthy as long as I can. And so the competition and the judging helps me realize that. You know, you, gotta, you, gotta, you have a responsibility to take care of them. You just don't toss them out when, you, when they start having troubles. That's why they're getting massages today. They have a chiropractor once a month. And it takes all of my Social Security to do it, but... That's my responsibility to them. So you have a show in April. Do you have anything before then, Marilyn, or is that where you kick off the season? That's where we kick off the season. We've had, we can't train much out here when it's pouring rain. We just can't. I have a pretty good ring that drains well, but it's going to take a couple of days of sunshine to get it back. So we weren't able to ride this week at all. So the winter training kind of, that kind of has to fall by the wayside a bit. But in um, in the beginning of April, end of March, we should be able to get back at it full swing. So off you go. And where will you be showing otherwise in this season? Do you have a plan for the summer? Um, I'm kind of relying on Dee White, my trainer, to find some schooling shows for hunters. And uh, I dearly want to do that. So we're we're busy cantering poles right now. She's taking me way back to the basics because my balance has changed because of the dressage. And so, um, uh, you know, I have to get back to a little bit of a forward seat, but we'll see. And so that's that's the goal, to do dressage and some hunter shows. Well, good for you, Marilyn. Obviously, uh, th- this makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it, when you've got two horses you can do this with it, it, and come back to the sport in later life. As you say, you you had a bit of a an oasis there for several years in your life while you were raising a family, but to to have this in your life now must be absolutely wonderful. Oh, it is. It is. I can't believe how lucky I am. The horses are keeping me healthy. <laughs> I don't have anybody here to lift those poop buckets and the 50-pound sacks of feed, I have to do all of that. And uh, I've had a couple of falls, but boy, am I lucky. I think my bones are really strong because I'm doing the work. So um, that and the riding, I think, is keeping me healthy. And there are times, God, when I wish, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. I just want to lie here and read my book. But you've <laughs> got to get up. they got to be fed. Everything's got to be cleaned up. And so it keeps you going. It does. Keeps what, you going. what a motivation. Well, you're clearly an inspiration, Marilyn. I want to wish oh, you the you. very best of luck with the season coming up uh, with, with Cammy and with your other horse there. And, uh, you know, we will be following you because I'm sure, you know, there's a lot more competition left in Marilyn County. Good luck to you. Oh, thank you so much. I hope you're right.
And from time to time, I'll be introducing you to more members of that exclusive club, the Century Club. You can find out more about it and the Dressage Foundation by going to their website at dressagefoundation.org. In episode 147, I began reading an extract from Paul Balasic's book, Dressage in the 21st Century, and here is part two. Just as revolutionary as the concept of scoring, if not more so, was the new type of horse being used at these competitions. In 1665, the Duke of Newcastle wrote, The Spanish horse possesses great strength and courage, is eager to learn and walks and trots with the most elegant and dignified movements. He has a proud gallop. In 1588, Lunison had said, It would, to be recognised moreover, that of all the horses on earth, the Spanish are the most intelligent, the most likeable and most gentle. While in 1600, Labru wrote, Comparing the best horses, I give the Spanish horse first place for its perfection, because it is the most beautiful, noble, graceful and courageous. Pluvenel, Guerranieri and the riders throughout the golden age of Versailles and sources back towards Xenophon all hailed and promoted the Spanish, Iberian type of horse as the best in the world for dressage. Trainers universally sought a horse of average size, close coupled with quick reflexes, but good dispositions. They looked for uphill horses that were naturally built for collection. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, these changed. Constantly rearming, the armies had collected large supplies of crossbred horses. Breeders across Europe were developing a horse in a rectangular frame. This was a horse that at first was heavily infused with thoroughbred blood, one that could be multidisciplinary. It was a horse first for cavalry use, and then a horse that could run, jump and hunt, as well as performing in dressage competitions. The proliferation of these horses was rapid. In 1938, for example, in just the mid-European area of East Prussia, horses numbered 4,708,499. A surplus of 32,000 horses were annually sold away from the country. These exported horses went to practically every country in Europe, as well as North and South America, Africa and the Far East. It was the cavalry officers, now facing the mechanisation of the armies, who began in the late 19th century and then more formally in the early 20th century, to compete against each other at dressage shows, among other disciplines. Quite naturally, the officers competed on their own horses. These new horses were generally larger than the old Spanish type and often proportionally longer-backed. As more carriage-type horses were used in breeding, the new horse continued to develop a long-suspended trot, which quite simply became the fashion of the entire century in the competition arena. In part, the shift in horse types came about because of a strong German influence in the early years of competition dressage. A case can be made that winning these early competitions on the newer warm-blood horses was important for the promotion of the German horse. Good salesmanship by the German breeders was a factor here, but I think that the underlying situation was more complex than that. 
The reason why there was even a market for these horses had to do with major philosophical and political changes that were going on. There was still a strong, if not intensifying, backlash against collection and score riding because of their identification with aristocracies and their social abuses. There was also an increasing infatuation with sports of the field. The Italian Federico Caprilli's elegant jumping style was seen as revolutionary. Being practically the diametric opposite of the school riding that started in his own country a few hundred years earlier. In terms of competition dressage, the shift to the new rectangular type of horse was very nearly universal. The FEI was essentially given tacit approval through the markings of its judges, which was biased towards the new kind of horse. Read Podaska's account of trying to compete with his Lipizzaners and the response to them, as opposed to the thoroughbred types he had been so successful with. This kind of endorsement by the international body went a long way towards standardising the type of horse that would be successful at their competitions. The breeders were only too happy to supply such horses to competitors, especially since they were being confronted with a dwindling demand by the armies of the world. The second set of forces shaping dressage, that prevented a complete monopolistic shift to the modern horse, hailed from the traditional historic lineage and included some non-competitive riders and some outstanding equestrian artists. It was primarily these people and their associated institutions that prevented the extinction of the traditional classical riding style and horse. This was not easy. The great and powerful German rider, trainer, and hypnotist Gustav Rau tried to install Hanoverian horses at the Spanish riding school. It was Alois Podaski who fought, as he did all his life, to keep the Baroque horses as the centerpiece of the living museum school that the whole world now admires. Along with Podaski and eminent figures such as Nuno Oliveri and Egon von Neindorf. This second set of forces included artistic riders and teachers who, like musicians, musicians, may be unfamiliar to the general public, but are admired by those who knew them. Many people seem intent on dividing these two forces that shape dressage. Perhaps they are correct, but perhaps they are not. It seems ironic to me that a competitor of competitors like Rainer Klimke could not see this coming. This confusion of purpose in trying to make dressage a sport, as I said, it is my intention to prepare a manual of practice based on the evolving consensus of classical principles, a consensus which was fundamentally complete long before the invention of dressage as sport. Furthermore, it is my intention not to be involved in a more superficial debate, which will eventually settle itself. Listen to Oliviera himself speaking in 1983. We do not speak of a superiority of any method, i.e., the German method, but it must be recognised that dressage is very popular in Germany, and there are many junior riders capable of competing in Prix Saint Georges. Of course, German riders are not all top-class riders, having the tendency to ride and work their horses with a rigidity and harshness, which induced a very strong contact with the reins. But if you observe the top German riders, you will notice this is not what happens. They are not ignorant of the descent de main, 
relaxing or releasing of the hands, which is the result of reward of real collection. In the 1982 World Championships at Lausanne, Rainer Klimke also demonstrated very often in his tests this descendement. If a horse is not truly light, exercises such as the pirouette, the passage, the PF, and especially the transition from passage to the PF, are not really accurate and brilliant. Olivieri, Podaski, de Carpentry, et al. In fact, all the best riders have said it in one way or another, that there is no parochial division at the top. There is a consensus. Earlier, I talked about a distillation of dressage ideals in the last 100 years. I have spoken repeatedly about the development over the years of a clearer consensus pertaining to the theory concerning and the execution of dressage movements. This does not mean that even now, at the beginning of the 21st century, there are no nationalistic flavours in riding. There are. As with folk dancing, there are kinds of folk dressage in many areas of the world. Sometimes, in periods of complication, people long for a return to the uncomplicated and simple pursuits of the past. One often sees resurgence in things folkloric. A lot of the general appeal of riding is rooted in a kind of romance. More specifically, within the whole study of dressage, one sees parochial retreats away from the world view. The fundamentalist movement permeates even dressage. Yet when one listens to the pinnacle riders who are scholars or who are thinkers from the different areas of the world, one often hears pronouncements about a form of dressage with universal principles. Such people rarely champion the differences in the dressage of different countries. They almost always accent the similarities. They know it comes through Pignatelli and Xenophon. Today, there is a huge explosion of interest in dressage. Statistics show dressage to be one of the fastest-rising horse-related activities. However, explosions of interest are not always good for an activity, much less for an art form. They may be good for promoters and people selling things, but huge influxes of capital can corrupt a system unused to such attention. You can find out more about this title and all of Paul Balasic's books on his website at paulbalasic.com. Our show notes are at dressageradio.com and you can also join us on Facebook too, which over 2,000 people have already done so. We actually crossed that milestone this past week. So uh, well done to all of you for joining us over there and building the community that is all about dressage. And thank you also for those of you who posted suggestions for guests on our Facebook fan page. I will be bringing you, of course, more news, views and interviews from around the world of dressage next week, so I hope you'll join me again for now. I'm Chris Stafford. Thank you for listening. Thank you.